You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Okay, what what y'all have tonight, you have the new lesson, which is lesson number nine. And you also, once again, have the second page of the summary. That, again, that second page changes each week. Now, it won't anymore because the page is full. Next week, you'll get the beginning of page number three of the summary. I just wanted you to be able to see bullet by bullet the territory that we're covering without all the extra notes. So you've got a lesson nine, and then you've got a summary page that starts, I think, with the number six. Uh, it has six, seven... Uh, eight and nine on it. So uh, I make mention in number nine a reference to number eight. So let's just go back to page 33. That's the place where our notes begin tonight. I, I wrote here that the, the, the last lesson, number eight, started with this statement. There will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, and no repentance until all judgment ends, the bitterness that forms when forgiveness is missing will harden the heart that is otherwise ready for restoration and healing. So it puts a great emphasis on all judgment must end. It forms bitterness. It forms a lack of forgiveness. But the ninth lesson builds on that same thought. There will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance and no repentance until all judgment ends and our eyes see, our ears hear what he sees and what he hears. Uh, if you, th- this morning in, uh, in Max's comments, would you take I'll just take them right here. Never mind. You're welcome. Max, this morning in his comments to Victoria, referenced 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And again, in verse 9 is where we typically hear this scripture at funerals. I have not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered in the heart of men, those things that God has planned for those who love him. And if we stop there, then that's the conclusion we draw. But the problem is that the, the, the first word in the next verse, in verse 10, is the conjunction, but. So we have to recognize that what God's about to say is something that kind of comes against that statement in, in verse 9. And the statement, I'm going to give these to y'all so I don't have to keep doing this. Short, if you just, when people come in. Verse 10 begins by saying, but we can know those things by his spirit. We can see what he sees. We can know what he knows. We can hear what he says. We are fully, fully capable of seeing with our eyes what now spiritual, what God sees from his. 
Now, I wish that this was a common teaching within the Christian church. Because how, how many things would be remedied? How many things would change if we could simply see the situation the way he sees the situation? How much worry would, get, would go out of a story? How much concern, how much tension, how much brokenness if we could simply see what he sees? Well, we can. I have not seen nor ear heard but we can know those things, see those things. We do have spiritual eyes. We do have ears to hear. And we can move according to an understanding that far surpasses what, what you and I by our, in our natural minds are capable of. I shared in Bible study this morning. As a matter of fact, let's just go here right quick. Go, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For those of you who heard me share this this morning, I apologize. No, I don't. Paul is talking about resurrection and the conflict around that topic. The, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did. So there's a it's just a, it's an ongoing disagreement. So he's, he begins making a powerful argument about if you say there's no resurrection, then where's Jesus' body? If, there's, if there is still a body around, then he, he's making us all look foolish because there is no body, there is a resurrection, so how can you say that? But I wanted us, when he, when he gives this amazing picture, uh, he starts talking about different bodies in, in like in verse 38 through 41. Uh, but let's begin in verse 42. I want us to see this. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning with verse 42. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. Now he's talking about a seed planted has to die before anything else can grow. So he's, he's, he's using that reference. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So once again, I want us to notice his description of us. My life was laid down. I laid it down to end it. It had to die so that by his resurrection, something else could live. But listen to what he says lives. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. That is his description of you. That is his description of us. It was, it was laid down. It was sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. If you have his resurrected life now flowing in you because, he, because you laid your life down so he could give his life to you, this is now the description of us. Laid down this way, raised this way, raised in power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
There is a, a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And once again, where does this second Adam live? He lives in us by his spirit. So we too, not by our own authority, not by our own power, we too have, have an authority placed in us because his spirit's in us then by the work of my hands, by the projection of my mouth, then I too am, am releasing a quickening spirit. We don't see ourselves in these terms. We don't even process ourselves in these terms. 46, howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they that are, that are heavenly. So what's the last word he's added to our description? We are of a heavenly nature. We're not limited anymore by the earth. And all the rules that bind us here, I now am under a banner of heaven. There's a different authority there. There's a different life there. And, and as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And then he goes into, into the different moments of the resurrection. That is his description of us. How many of us even began by looking by the eyes of God at ourselves. If I'm going to be able to, to tell you that I have not seen nor ear heard those things which God has planned for those who love him, and then, and, and then in verse 10 say, but by his spirit, I can see those things. I can know those things. I ought to at least begin to see and know those things he says about me. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be remarkable for, for us to know just what God sees when he sees you? And that it's spectacular. He's not seeing the age. He's not seeing the wrinkles. He's not seeing the limitations. He's seeing the fullness of what he did in the fullness of the glory, the fullness of the power, the fullness of the truth. Wow, if we could just see what he sees. And we can, there's no reason not to. Let me continue in my notes. Very often in ministry, I encourage those to whom I minister to ask God to let them borrow his eyes and see in themselves or in others what he sees. If they are willing, the transformation will begin. It is extremely naive and a bit arrogant for us to believe that our eyes are capable of what his eyes can comprehend. It is not, however, unlike him to let us borrow his eyes to see truth, hear truth, and believe by faith. He wants you to see what he sees. Now, again, where we are in this movie the healing has been a progression. And you can go back and you can look at the notes and you can see this progression of healing. 
But I will tell you today, and we know this with certainty, that there will be no dynamic transformation until we see what he sees. My mind will remain confused. My heart will remain broken. There will be, there, there will be very little opportunity for advancement in, in relationship if somewhere in this I don't see what he sees. I will tell you right now, if you're sitting here with any interest at all, two things will be forming in you. A stubbornness that will say, I, am, I have no interest in seeing what he sees because I'm sticking with what I believe right now. My picture's correct. I've determined I'm right. I'm staying right here. Or the question will begin to form and the prayer will form on our hearts. God, let me see what you see. Now again, I'll be very brief in this testimony. The anger with, and frustration with my brother was growing. With every year that passed, every birthday that passed, every bit of news I got is, for example, of him Last summer, not this summer, but last summer, having brain surgery, being in intensive care for a while, having to go back in and have another procedure. And I find out about it at a family re reunion. Uh, didn't even know it was going on. With every one of those moments, what, do you th what direction was the relationship taking? It was, it was on its way down, and, and you could feel it accelerating until... The Holy Spirit said, remember what you teach. Always stop judging. So that stopped. Here, you see the notes? There will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, no repentance until all judgment ends. But, but very quickly after the judgment stopped, God showed me my brother and told me with all clarity that he had been the champion of my life, all of my life, and I did not know it. That he knew all the secrets of our family. And the reason he kept his distance was that was, because, that was the safest way to protect us from the hurt that only he knew. Such nobility in it. Such integrity in it, honor in it that I'd never seen before. So on my birthdays, we're sitting at his table for the first time in years. And I told him what the Lord showed me. The words that came out of his mouth was, was I wondered if anyone would ever know. And tremendous different sense. But I would not have changed if he would not have let me see what he sees when he sees my brother. I will tell you, we, we're, we're about to watch a scene that, is, that, that portrays this very, very well. As we ended last time, Mackenzie had just been called an idiot. Uh, 
that may not appeal to you. I thought it was quite humorous because I can certainly see God calling me that from time to time. <clears throat> Here we go. Stop there briefly. It's going to go straight from my notes. <clears throat> Look around, Mackenzie. Don't forget to enjoy the journey. <clears throat> if healing is on the mind of God and our journey is determined by that mind, okay, let's do some logical, there's, there's a math for, uh, There's a math principle in here somewhere that if A equals B and B equals C, then A has to equal C. There's some type, that the transitive property, somebody who knows that kind of stuff. Reflective, something. Communitive? Okay, I got it. It's still the same. All right. If healing is on the mind of God and our journey is determined by that mind, there should be some measure of peace some measure of comfort, some release, and even joy in that journey. We live as if the joy can't come back until the healing is complete. Well, I will tell you physically, you know, when, especially in, in the first rotator cuff surgery that I had on this shoulder, when I got to go to physical therapy, my shoulder wasn't at all well, but getting to hold that weight and, and go in that circle was, was tremendous relief. I felt something significantly better, though I wasn't even close to being completely restored and released so that I could go do the things I wanted to do. Well, if healing is on the mind of God, then we should be experiencing even joy in that healing process, even though the ultimate healing has not yet come. But we live as if there cannot be joy, there can't be peace, there can't be a, a, a reality to it until it's completed. Well, I want to tell you, we need to learn to celebrate the small differences in the journey because we will be much more ready to celebrate the big one when the big one finally comes. We have so little hope or expectation in his miraculous power that we find the journey tedious and filled with skepticism. Hope in his power and certainty in his love will bring expectation and encouragement. The journey on the way to restoration and healing will by nature change. And I, I, I can't help but go back here for just a second. For those of you who weren't here this morning, if I could give an assignment and, and tell you that this homework, I would ask you to go back and listen to Jay's sermon from last Sunday morning from Ezekiel 37, the chapter on the dry bones. Because I just can't even, I, I like thinking about it, but I would have loved to have been an observer because when you're seeing this valley of dry bones, probably thousands and thousands of people, no telling how many bones and how they, how they look, but to be standing there and watching these bones begin to form skeletons again. And then to hear God tell Ezekiel to prophesy and 
to prophesy that the muscle would come back on those bones and the skin would come back on those bones and that this whole army stood up alive but still believed inside themselves that they were dead. And the promise that God made was I will put my breath in them. And not only will they be physically alive, but they will be dynamically alive. The one part that was invisible was the, was, was the greatest transformation. I tell you, I don't know how those bones felt when they came together. I don't know if they had any capability. I don't know how it all felt to watch this restoration occurring. But I do know that when that breath hit them, that something so dynamic occurred, that something so dynamically changed, that there was no question that that army had been completely restored. What do you think he's thinking he's about to see? Could he have imagined at this point what he was about to see in the next scene? We were having dinner with the family a couple of nights ago, and she mentioned she, I'd encouraged them last week to watch the movie, and she said they watched it and cried the whole time. She was also of that group that she said, we've been warned by our church to never watch the movie. Uh, so, which is, which is very common, but she said, we got into it and realized, what in the world was there here that somebody wouldn't want us to see? But they watched it, and uh, she said, the, she made one comment about it. She said, the one thing that the book did better, that she could just clearly say the book was better, because with words more than with pictures, there was a better description of the Holy Spirit's eyes seeing miraculous things the way the color and the light and this, the words, the way those descriptions are given in the book was much more descriptive than what we're about to see here. But Mackenzie simply said, okay, he had no idea what he, was about to, what he was about to see. This is the summary of this section. Our view, please just acknowledge this. You don't, no, no big deal, but acknowledge it anyway. Our view is not that of God. What I'm seeing on a daily basis is not what God sees. Let's just start right there. It can be, but that requires faith and certainty that, that our Father wants us to see what He sees. I wonder how many moments of trauma, challenges, and pain, misunderstandings would be radically changed if we actually saw in those moments what God sees especially when we recognize that our judgments are absolutely wrong. Over the weekend, just in, in visiting with my sister, I told her at one point, I said, Donna, you've got to let God show you what he sees in this situation because you will never get it. You will never guess it. You need to be able to see what God sees. But I look, I look around this group and I know so many stories because you've individually been in my office. And I know one of the great transforming realities is that we finally see what God sees. We suddenly get a view of something from our past, something in our current story, something in a relationship. We finally get a view of something that God 
clearly, absolutely sees. All things become possible when we ask God to show us someone's heart, someone's hurt, someone's story. He will and we will be, and we will be restored. One of the more common things I share when somebody comes in and says, God just won't answer my prayer. I tell them, ask him a new question. He, it sounds like he doesn't want to answer the question that you're asking. Because what is the normal question that we ask him? God, I've got this going on. What's our question? God, would you simply tell me what to do? I want to know what to do. And I don't find him particularly good at answering that question. I'm not going to say that he never does because he certainly does, but he does. I don't find that to be one he answers easily. But if I'm in one of those situations and instead of asking him, what, God, what do you want me to do? If I ask him, God, show me their heart, show me their story, he'll do it. Will he do it, Carolyn? Make any difference? Yeah. That's the last, one of the last conversations I had with Carolyn a couple of weeks ago. Ask God to show you someone's heart. And she sent me a text message a little bit later and said he showed me. He loves answering that question. He loves showing you somebody else's story because when you finally understand that story, guess what? You'll know what to do. You'll know that compassion is, is, is what is needed. You'll know grace is what needs to be extended. You'll know that mercy is what God is showing you or truth that needs to be revealed. He will show you in showing you the other person's heart what, they, what will bring healing and, and restoration. But we keep asking him, the, the one question, because that's what we really want to know, God, tell me what to do. Let's go a little further. Man, I love that. I love that. This is a small detail, and I'm not going to linger here long, but we often assess hurtful situations about what happened. Agreed? They did this, I did this. We often describe hurtful situations in terms of what happened. It is in that assessment of what that great mis misunderstanding can occur. Believe that? If I start looking at a situation based on what someone did or what I, or what I did in response, I will assure you that we're opening a door wide open for misunderstanding. It happens all the time. Because that's what we share on Facebook. Guess what they did? Guess what I did? Let me tell you what I said back. Let me, I mean, that's the way we describe situations. That's the assessment we make. The assessment must change to who? Let's think about this for just a second. I'm describing something in terms of what happened. I'm I, I, I can give you a great detail of what somebody said. I can show you the text messages. This is what they said right here. And I can give you a full account, step by step, of all that happened in this, in this situation and how accurate will I be in the description. Completely truthful, 
absolutely inaccurate. Because what's missing? What's missing is the who. I want to know what happened, what's going on in the person who just sent that text. Our assessment has to move from what happened to God show me the heart of the person who is involved in this situation. Why is that hurt there? I won't get that based on what they did. I will get that based on who they are. That this person is angry. This person is frustrated. This person sees themselves as weak. This person sees themselves as powerless. This person sees themselves as worthless. When God begins to give me a description of how, he, of how, how these people see themselves, who they believe they are, I'm not going to worry so much about what they did because I'm going to be intrigued by who they are, which led them to do what they did. Our assessment of doing has to be re replaced by the assessment of who. And again, it, it was a small point, probably completely unintended. But I put down here, remember identity, remember identity to de always determines fruit. If the fruit is offensive or confusing, Ask the identity, the who question, rather than the activity, the what question. It won't resolve until it, until it changes. Before we play the rest of that scene, I ask this question, why this moment? What does this moment of healing have to do? Why does it seem disjointed from the death of his daughter? Because isn't that ultimately what the healing is about? Isn't it about dealing with the anger he feels, the bitterness that he has, the resentment that he has, the destructive heart that he has toward this evil man who killed his child? The scene that we're coming to, why this scene? What's really going on here? Why this particular scene? Well, first of all, it was not disjointed because it provided the veil by which all other life was viewed. When Mackenzie's daughter in this movie was killed, what was the veil that was already over his face? And what caused that veil to be there? His father. This brokenness with his father provides all of the backdrop for the rest of that story it was not disjointed because this previous old hurt that had broken Mackenzie's heart had caused a great distrust in God himself. Can you see that? Here's this kid tied to this tree being beaten by his father while his father's quoting scripture. Think that could taint your view of God? So he didn't trust him. I had someone tell me the other day, I think I mentioned it to you, that he was standing teaching Sunday school about a God that he hated. I think we would be shocked that that's probably not too unusual. Or teaching about a God that we don't trust. The third thing, multiple references throughout the movie speak of how prominent this hurt had been in McKenzie's life. We hear in the cave when he's talking about, you can judge me fine from here. She said, judge, he says, judge you? Or the wisdom says, judge you? And what was his answer? Well, you know what I did. A little later in the cave, when he asked wisdom, 
was his daughter's death punishment for what he had done? And wisdom comes back and says, no wonder you're in great pain, Mackenzie, if that's the God that you believe that he is. You see, we, we had reference after reference in the movie about the impact that this portion with his father had. There will be no healing until this ancient hurt has been exposed and healing has come. Y'all may not believe that. That's, that's, that's a pretty profound statement. But the healing that is closest to you, the problem that you're facing that is looming the largest in front of you, the one that you want dealt with, the one you want justice for or clarity about or healing from, that issue that's closest to you, I can assure you, will not be dealt with until this ancient hurt back here is dealt with first. Why? Because once again, what did this old hurt do? It made Mackenzie distrust God. It made him bitter. So what's the likelihood from a, from a position of not trusting God because of an old hurt that he's going to fully step into the healing that God wants for in this big and prominent one that's facing you right now? You see, this big one will not be well approached if the ancient one that even might have come out of childhood is not dealt with. Yeah, I can't, Johnny's story is Johnny's story. She's given me a lot of permission. But they were dealing with some things as a family that were very prominent in the story. But that could not find clarity or resonance until the old story was discovered. And there was healing in the old story. There will be no healing until we see past the trauma from God's eyes. Mackenzie again was shown in the cave that his father had been beaten by his grandfather. This moment exposed or opened Mackenzie to the opportunity for healing. What happened in Mackenzie? when God let him see how badly his father had been hurt by his grandfather. What happened in that moment? Again, I don't know how to just fully bring this to bear, except for the fact that there were, along with God letting me see that my brother was the champion of our story, and the champion was the word, he also showed me what he endured. You think there was a softness in me when I saw what he faced as a little boy? It's real hard to maintain anger when you see what God sees. And he shows you the brokenness in somebody else's life where they've walked. It's real hard to maintain that resentment when he showed me where my brother had been. Did he know? Because in the cave he got to see it. He got to see what God already knew. That's a different I know. 
That's not I think or, or I heard and I'm trying to understand. That's I know because I know. We won't discover that until we see what God sees. I'll have more comments, but I'm just going to pause it. Okay. The closing comments I make here, this quote speaks to Mackenzie seeing his father honestly and truthfully by wisdom in the cave. He is now confronting his greatest hurt, but now he's doing it in full view of what had happened to his father. We could argue ad nauseum about what, which hurt was greater. We could, we could banner that back and forth about who's hurt was the greatest or was it the hurt about his father? Was it where he actually killed his father or was it the death of his daughter? And again, we could go back and forth to try to understand which hurt was greater. I wrote here, I would not want to discuss severity but rather would discuss order. This hurt preceded the death of his daughter, but because of this great tragedy was already in Mackenzie's life, his view of God, his assessment of God, and his assessment of God's disregard for his loss were all challenged in this moment because Mackenzie believed that the death of his daughter apparently didn't mean much to God or God would have done something about it. You see, that's now changing in this moment. He's understanding by this healing journey that he's on that that is not true. His assessment of God, everything he believed had been affected by this moment. Now this moment's out of the way. What's he ready for? He's ready for the mountain. And that's where we will be next week. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.